chapter 22 of 2 Kings, verse 8. And Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. Now if you don't know the story behind this, Josiah has become king. They're cleaning out the temple and they find the law. They find the book of the law as he says here. So we go over to verse 11, and it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes. Now, Josiah's predecessor was not a godly king. He allowed and in fact encouraged idol worship and so forth. And the nation was out of God's will and out of God's blessings. And so Josiah, as king, reads the book of the law and he is so convicted by it that he begins to, as a, and I'll mention this again in a moment, but as a sign of repentance, rend or, or tear his clothing. Now chapter 23, verse 1, And the king sent, and they gathered unto him all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. Now drop down to verse 21, and we'll read there. We're going to come back and get some of these verses in a few moments. And the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover unto the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of this covenant, Surely there was not holden such a Passover from the days of the judges that judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel, nor in the kings of Judah, but in the 18th year of King Josiah, wherein this Passover was holden to the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, the workers with familiar spirits and the wizards and the images and the idols and all the abominations that were spied in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem did Josiah put away that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. And like unto him was there no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his might according to all the law of Moses neither after him arose there any like him." Now let me at the outset say this, that this message has been sort of a challenge to me. You know, I mentioned Wednesday night that I thought I was going to preach on revival today, and then Thursday I decided I wasn't, and then Thursday afternoon I decided I was, and Friday morning I didn't really know what I was going to do. Because there was something in here, in the verses, not that I read this morning, but I read in studying, that really bothered me, and I thought, Why? And I've got to find out the answer why before I can present this message to God's people. And so it took some time, but I found, I believe, the answer, and we're going to get to that. I'm not trying to be mysterious. I just don't want to give away the end of the message before the beginning. Dr. Vance Havner once said this, one reason we don't have revival is because a lot of people don't want revival. Amen. And folks, that's true. Oh, if God's people would just want to be revived, and I don't mean reformed, Reformation is not revival. You notice the subtitle of this message is the correction by Josiah, the calamity of Jerusalem. We're going to see that in a moment. But a lot of people just don't want revival. We're comfortable with the routine. We're comfortable with just coming to church and having church. I call it playing church. You know why I call it playing church? Because we do all the things the church does without really getting excited about serving God and witnessing for Christ. And so sometimes we play church. So obviously we're going to talk about revival this morning. I finally got settled on it. Many consider a good revival to be one in which you get a dynamic pastor from somebody else or from somewhere else, some other church, and have him come and, 
either a week or I think it's down to about three days these days because you can't, I said Wednesday night, you know why we don't have revivals anymore? You can't get people to come back on Sunday night. How are they going to come Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday? God doesn't have that big a place in our lives anymore, does he? Oh, I didn't hear any amens on that one, did I? But it's true, folks. We can give everything else all of our time and Oh, Sunday, you know, we'll give God a little bit of time on Sunday. I better hush and go on or this message is going to last a long time. But we expect some dynamic preacher from somewhere else to come and preach these hard messages that our pastor doesn't dare preach. And we say, boy, that was a good revival. You know, we can have revival without that. We can have revival just from a Sunday morning message. The success of revival effort is usually determined by the number of people that show up or the number of people that walk the aisle. We had an instructor in seminary that did a few definitions for us. You know, pastor talk, you know what preacher talk is? When a preacher says we had almost 200 in church today, that means we had 101. When he says it was a good Wednesday night crowd, it means they couldn't all sit on the back pew. And when he says... Well, it was a good church revival. It means nobody made any moves, but we just enjoyed the fellowship, okay? And sometimes that's how we judge revivals. Here's the best way to find out if there has been revival. Come back six months to a year later and see if people are still on fire for God. I pastored one place where they said, we have revival the fourth week of July every year, whether we need it or not. I thought, well, we need it. You know, if that's our attitude, that's what we need. But as I stated, Judah was not enjoying God's blessings. Judah was out of fellowship with God. They were involved in idolatry and immorality. And it had broken their fellowship with God. And listen, the Lord's churches today can get into a similar condition. And I think many today are. We do it when we're spiritually weak. And many churches are spiritually weak today. You know, we have more than the early churches had and we do less with it today than they did with the little bit they had. Just imagine if Paul, just think about Paul. Just imagine if Paul had had the internet and cell phones and all of those things, modern travel with aircraft and so Paul would have been all over the world two or three times. And we do very little with what we have. We fall in that situation when we try, instead of living for God, live for the flesh. Jesus said you can't serve God and them, and you can't serve God and the flesh. We do it when we're guilty of idolatry. We talked about that a little bit in Sunday school. Colossians 3, 5 says this, covetousness is idolatry. You say, I wouldn't worship an idol preacher. Yeah, but do you covet? Are you dissatisfied with what God has allowed you to have? Do you look at what somebody else has and say, I wish I had what they have? That's covetousness, and the Bible says it's idolatry. And just as Judah needed revival, the Lord's churches, and folks, I think we do need revival today. And many times we just find ourselves, here's how we know we need revival, we just fall into the same old rut. We're just doing the same things over and over, and we're doing them without enthusiasm, without love for the Lord, without faithfulness to God. Now the first 20 verses of our text, we didn't read those, and verse 24, tell us of all the reforms that Josiah made in Judah. But I think the key to understanding this message, and here's what sort of threw me for a loop for a little bit. The key of verse, and we're going to explain it after a while. 
the key to understanding this is verses 25 and 26. Again, uh, Josiah said, Like unto him was there no king before him that turned to the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and with all of his might, according to all the law of Moses, neither after him arose there any like him. L listen to verse 26. This is what threw me. Notwithstanding, the Lord turned not from the fierceness of his great wrath, wherewith his anger was kindled against Judah, because of all the provocations that Manasseh had provoked him withal. Now, when you think about that, okay, see, I think, you know, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, wait a minute, Lord, they, Josiah's trying to clean things up. Just hang on to that thought. We'll get there in just a moment. I said this message is both instruction and it is a warning. And by examining, first of all, the things that Josiah did to try to bring revival, we're going to find what we need to have if we're going to have revival. And the first thing we notice is in verses that we read uh, over in chapter 22 and also in chapter 23 here. But the first thing we need, and these are the corrections by Josiah, the reading of the Word. The presentation of the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 calls the word of God what? The sword of the spirit. Take unto you the sword of the spirit whereby you may be able to uh, fight the enemy. I paraphrase that. I didn't get it right. But the word of God is the tool that the Holy Spirit uses to convict God's people. It's the tool that the Holy Spirit uses to convict our hearts. Listen, it is not preachers who are powerful, folks. It is the Word of God that's powerful. Amen. If we will present the Word of God, I think something, a memory or something that I had on Facebook today was a Vance Havner quote. He said that men are moved by the Word of God, not by our comments on it, okay? Amen. So it's the Word of God that is powerful, and if we're going to have revival, we need the Word of God. It's called quick. It's called powerful. It's called sharp. Quick means it's alive. Powerful means it's effective in operation. Sharp means it is more cutting than anything else. Revelation chapter 1 verse 16 calls it a sharp two-edged sword coming from the mouth of the Lord. But the scripture also says the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You know what that means? It's going to reveal to us our motives. See, Activity is one thing and motive is something else. What we do on the outside is one thing, but what's in our hearts when we do it is something else. And the Word of God will reveal to us our very motives for why we do what we do. And so we need the Word of God. We need not only the power of the Word of God, but we need a preference for the Word of God. When we truly want revival, truly, when we truly want revival, we will desire the word of God and other things will not matter. Amen. Won't matter what the clock, what time the clock has on it. It won't matter what I'm wanting to get to as soon as church is over or whatever it may be. Listen to a couple of examples. Nehemiah chapter 8. You remember what's happening in Nehemiah chapter 8? They're having the great revival in Israel at the water gate. Okay? And Nehemiah gets up to preach. And listen what happened. When God's people get ready for revival, they'll desire God's word. It says, all the, all the people, they didn't just call them together, all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate, and they spake unto Ezra the scribe, 
to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had commanded Israel. You know what they're doing? The congregation's begging the preacher to preach. Amen. I don't know if I've ever been begged to preach. <laughs> hey, preacher, get up. That sermon wasn't long enough. Preacher, give us another one. You know, we're not getting our money's worth for being here or whatever. No, they just say, we want to hear from the word of God. And verse 2 says, And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, and he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. Do you realize that's five to six hours? You want me to preach a five or six hour message? Amen. Thank you, brother. <laughs> I didn't know if anybody had amen that or not. From morning till midday, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. You know what that's saying? The preacher preached and people listened. There was no nodding off. They're standing, okay? Maybe we ought to just stand while the message is going on, keep people from going to sleep, or they'd just fall out when they did. But people stood and the word of God was preached and people listened. They wanted, remember, the walls had just been rebuilt. They'd been returned from Babylonian captivity. They were enjoying being back in the land and being close in their minds to God and in their hearts to God. Job chapter 23. Here's another example. Here's Job's desire for the word. He said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. You know what Job is saying? He said, I'd rather have the word of God than eat. I'd rather read the Bible than, than have a meal. It's more important to me to have spiritual nourishment than to have physical nourishment. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, after being tempted there in the wilderness, or while he was being tempted there in the wilderness, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We need a preference for the word of God. You know, churches, some churches today are going to, to dramas and some are even going to dances and they think they ought to have musicals in the, in the church and they call that the worship service. No, the word of God is what is needed if churches are going to be and people are going to be what they ought to be. There is profit in the word of God. The 119th Psalm, verse 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. By the way, the 119th Psalm is about the Word of God. Just read, I know it's a long psalm, but just read that psalm and note how many times he talks about the Word of God or the law of God or the commandments of God. Of course, we're familiar with Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It is to guide us. A light, you know what a light does? First of all, a light exposes what's hidden in the darkness. You know what the Word of God will do? The Word of God will expose sin in our lives. But the Word of God will also expose false teaching, things that are not according to what God would have us to do. A light many times wards off danger. Remember the old, I don't know if they're old jungle films or cowboy films, and they're surrounded by all the animals, the wolves howling and, and all of that. What do they do? They build a fire. It'll ward them off. In that day, it may have been snakes on the path, whatever. And listen, the Word of God will ward off snakes. I'm talking about the two-legged kind, not the kind that slither on their belly. So it will ward off danger. And putting out the light is a sign of great danger. And I'm afraid many churches, many preachers have put 
out the light of God's Word today. Psalm 119, 165, the Word of God brings great peace. Listen to it. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. The psalmist said, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. How do you deal with the devil? How did Jesus deal with the devil out there in the wilderness? Every time Satan tempted him, he quoted scripture to him. And if we would get the word of God in our hearts, not in our heads. You know, stuff gets in my head and by the end of the day, I've forgotten what was in my head, okay? You say, how can you forget to do something that you wanted to do and yet you can remember all that scripture because the scripture's in here and it's not in here. And so we need to get the word of God in our hearts. The psalmist also said in the 16th verse of that 119th Psalm, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Get the word of God in your heart and don't forget it. Keep it there. God's word is the source of cleansing. It is the prevention against sin. And God's word is the source of great delight. And then there's presenting of the word of God because unfortunately in many places today, people don't want the word of God presented. Preacher, entertain us. Tell a few jokes. Make us laugh. Give us something other than the word of God. And the modern attitude toward the preaching of the word of God is keep it short and sweet and don't convict anybody. Otherwise, we won't show up. You know what human wisdom says about the preaching of the Word of God? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. To whom is it foolishness? Folks that are perishing. Folks that are lost. But listen to the rest of that verse. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. There's power in this Word. If we would just preach it, share it, put it in our hearts, live it in our lives. Do we come to hear a message from the Word of God or do we just come to hear and see what the preacher's going to do next? I mean, he's sort of goofy sometimes, you know. And so, thank you. <laughs> I love people who amen in the right places. <laughs> so which do we come to see? Which do we come to hear? But if we're to remain close to God, there must be a receiving of the word of God. That's the first thing. What did Josiah do? He listened to the word. He had the word presented. And then there will be a repenting of works. Go back again to chapter 22. It came to pass when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes. He tore his clothes. You know why many people don't repent? They reject the word of God. Well, that's just Bible. That doesn't apply to me. Preacher's not preaching to me. I'll say this again. I've said it before. I don't preach to individuals. I mean, I don't say, who do I want to pick on today? Well, since he amen the goofy thing, I don't say, boy, Brother Rick really needs this message. I'm going to preach it to him. No. Preach the word of God to God's people. And if it happens that it hits you right on something that you're involved in doing, that you've suffered in doing whatever, thank God for it. Because I have no idea who's going to be here when I start preparing a message. And I have no idea what you did last night when I start preparing the message. So a lot of people don't want to hear the word and they don't repent. But sharing the word produced sorrow. What happened in Nehemiah? 
case in the 8th chapter of Nehemiah when the law was read. Verse 9 of that 8th chapter says, For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. God's word was presented, their hearts were convicted, and it drove them to tears. You know what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter and the 10th verse? Godly sorrow worketh repentance. Where do you get godly sorrow? You get it from the Word of God. Now, what do we need to be sorrowful about? Well, first of all, sins of commission. Israel was guilty of false worship. They were guilty of false works. They were guilty of a false witness. They were worshiping idols. They were not serving God. And upon hearing God's Word, the first thing Josiah did was just go into repentance, tear his clothes. You know, many times they'd tear their clothes and put dirt and ashes on their head as a sign of repentance. And churches and church members can be guilty of sins of commission today. Of doing things we shouldn't. You realize the scripture says that all, A-L-L, all unrighteousness is sin. Hmm, think about that. And then 1 John 3 and 4 says, here's what sin is. Sin is a transgression of God's law. Sin is just walking across what God has said, what he has said to do or what he has said not to do. And in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Jesus speaking to the seven churches of Asia, to all of them, but especially to five of them, he said, I know your works. God knows what this church does and doesn't do, and he knows why we do it. God knows what each individual member of this church does and doesn't do, and he knows why we do it. He knows our works. Now, the works that were condemned there in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 were false doctrine. First of all, at Pergamos and Thyatira, and their false doing at Ephesus, who had left their first love. And I think that's probably one of the greatest. Jesus said, I, this church that had everything doctrinally straight, Jesus still said, I have something against you. You've lost your enthusiasm. You've lost your honeymoon love. You've lost your first love for me. And then you have Sardis who was dead and living on reputation, and you have Laodicea that was lukewarm, and the Lord said, I know your works. There was sins of commission, but there's also sins of omission. When we don't do what we know we need to do, that's sin too. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. James chapter 4, verse 17. Do you know that denying a backslidden condition when we know our hearts is sin? First John Chapter 1, verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10 says this, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him, make God a liar and his word is not in us. It's sin to say, I'm not bad, I'm fine, preacher, when we know that we're not. James chapter 1, verse 22 says that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers on. Isn't it great to come on a Sunday morning? Well, maybe it depends on who's preaching, I guess. But isn't it great to come on a Sunday morning and hear a nice sermon? Amen. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> you didn't think I was going to ask that, did you? Be doers of the word and not hearers only. We love to hear a sermon, especially if it's one we agree with. You know, especially if it's being preached to those other people. You know, those other folks that really need it. All those backslidden folks. Yeah, preach it, preacher. But what are we going to do when it's to us? To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him and to sin. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. We are to hear 
and to do what our Lord says. Remember at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 24. He compared the people who hear and, and just don't do anything as a man who built his house upon the sand. Verse 24, he says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And he said, The storm came, the wind blew, the rain fell. And that house did not move. It stood because it was built upon a rock. And Jesus is that rock. So, there is a repenting of our works along with receiving the word. There's a rededicating of the will. You look at verses 2 and 3 of chapter 23. The king went up into the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their ears the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all their heart and all their soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people stood to the covenant. Josiah said, Lord, I'm going to follow you. Josiah said, Lord, I want to be obedient to you. And this is what I give myself to. I'm going to perform your will. And it said all the people stood when he did that. Now, I like what one commentator said about that. He puts it this way. All the people pledged themselves to the covenant. And like I said a moment ago, it's real easy on a Sunday morning to agree with a sermon and to say amen to a sermon. That's right, preacher. Amen. It's a lot more difficult to put that sermon into practice on Monday morning, isn't it? Yeah, that's what we ought to do. I agree. Amen. And Monday comes and we've forgotten the message. Commitments needed today. You know, there are folks who don't want to even make any private commitment to God, much less any public commitment. And the reason there's no revival, not only because people don't want it, but the reason there's no revival is too much pride. We just don't want to humble ourselves and repent and return to God. What is, 2 Chronicles 7.14, what is the first step in revival? If my people shall humble themselves. Pardon the grammar, but there ain't no revival without humility. It takes humility to come before God and say, Lord, I'm not all I need to be. Lord, I'm not what I should be before you. I'm not as faithful as I should be to you. I failed you in some ways and I've messed up in some other ways and Lord, I just need your forgiveness. But God said, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin, will heal their land. So humility, just simple humility. And what you need to notice in these verses that we read from 2 Kings 23 verses 2 and 3 is who was the first one to make this covenant to God? The leader, the king. If the message doesn't come here first, folks, it doesn't need to come out of here. Right? And then there's the removing of the world, their idols. Look at what they did. And we're not going to read all of these verses. We're just going to mention them. Verse 4, the vessels that were made for idol worship were removed from the temple and burned. Verse 5, the idolatrous priests who worshiped Baal, the sun and the moon, were removed. Verse 6, the grove was removed from the house of the Lord. Verse 7, the houses of the Sodomites. Can you believe they had 
built houses for Sodomites right there by the house of the Lord. The houses of the Sodomites that were by the house of the Lord were removed. Verses 8 through 20, Josiah removed idol worship and all means of idol worship, the false priests, out everything. He said, I'm getting rid of it. And that sounds real, real good. And what it means is it gives us some principles of revival. Before true worship can be properly reinstated, the worldliness has to be removed. You can't worship God properly with the worldliness. And that's what bothers me about a lot of so-called worship services today. I think there's a lot of worldliness in worship services today. You realize when we come in here, not that God's dwelling in this building, even the all of the places in the world can't hold God. Amen. But we're coming into the very presence of God when we come in here to worship Him. Jesus is here. We're two or three gathered together in my name, there mine in the midst of the Holy Spirit is here. Here's what they did. They made a clean break. Maybe you want to say it this way. They stopped cold turkey. All right. See, when I was thinking about that and I started to use this as an example and I said, I don't want to offend anybody. But folks that want to give up smoking, what do they switch to? Sometimes vaping, which is just as many chemicals in that as there is, in, you know, just as dangerous. But then some want to just taper off. Well, I'll, I'll cut from two packs a day to one pack a day. I'll cut from a pack a day to half a pack a day. You're still taking in the poison, just not as much. And this is not an anti-smoking sermon. Please get that. I mean, what you, if you want to do that, fine, you do it. You know, that's between you and God. But what I'm trying to point out is Israel didn't just say, well, we'll, just, we'll get rid of some idols. Or Josiah didn't say that. Let me rephrase that. Josiah didn't say that. He said, it's gone. We're stopping it. We're stopping it now. And he got rid of all of this. We've got to get rid of that which interferes with our worship. There's going to be revival. There's got to be a clean break with sin. You cannot serve God and mammon. Remove the obstacles. Humble ourselves. Pray. Seek God's face. Turn from the things that we're doing that don't please God. And he will bless us. Now that's the instruction. That's what Josiah did. And verse 25 says, you know, they even kept the Passover and said it wasn't like any Passover they'd ever had before. I can, can't imagine that. But then, verse 25 says, there was no other king in Israel that kept the law and, and did the things that Josiah did. And then verse 26 Notwithstanding, the Lord turned not from the fierceness of his great wrath, wherewith his anger was kindled against Judah, because of all the provocations that Manasseh had provoked him withal. Remember, the title of this message is Reformation is not revival. Josiah made a lot of reformations in Judah. We're getting rid of this, we're getting rid of this, we're not going to do this. But the subtitle is the corrections of Josiah, the calamity of Jerusalem. Go back and read over those verses in chapter 23. Notice what you see as you read them. The king read. The king sent. The king went. 
The king stood. The king commanded. The king put down the idols. Then go back to Nehemiah 8 and read where the people gathered together at the water gate and said, we want to hear from the word of God. There is a difference between reformations made by a king and revival of a people. Amen. Judah had been reformed, but they had not repented and been truly revived. Now, where do you see that in here? Go to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah writes about this. Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 10 says this, And yet for all this her treacherous sister Judah had not turned unto me with her whole heart, but faintedly, saith the Lord. You know what faintedly means? Falsely. It's like telling a lie. Judah went through the motions. It's like having a week of revival services. When I first started pastoring, I learned a new word or a new description of revival services. Because this one woman asked me, when's the protracted meeting? And I said, the what? Well, they used to have revivals and they'd schedule them for a week, but it'd be so good and people getting revived and people being saved, we're going to go on for another week. So they'd just be protracted on out. Like I said, we can't even get people to show up for three days of revival services today. Too much going on. I might miss my favorite TV show. I'm sorry. Did I say that? <laughs> but you see where we've come to. We go through the motions. Yeah, we'll have a week of revival service. It's great. We had a week of revival service and we're all revived, right? Nah. Revival doesn't take place anywhere but right here. Amen. And if it doesn't take place right here, it doesn't take place out here. And that's what we need to learn. Albert Barnes, commentator, wrote this. I thought it was good. True repentance might have averted God's anger. But the people had sunk into a condition in which a true repentance was no longer possible. Individuals like Josiah were sincere, but the mass of the nation, despite their formal renewal of the covenant and their outward perseverance in Yahweh worship, had feigned rather than felt repentance. Another commentary says this, God did not turn from his wrath because despite Josiah's personal godliness and his righteous example and leadership, the people of Judah still provoked him by loving the sins introduced during the wicked days of Manasseh, Josiah's grandfather. Okay, we'll go along with you, king. Get rid of the idols. But the idols have not been removed from our hearts. A person can walk this aisle a thousand times, get on their knees in this altar a thousand times, and pray for revival and repentance in their heart. But if you don't remove the idols, it's not going to happen. This commentary goes on. From consultation with Huldah, he, Josiah, knew that there would be no deep note or lasting value in their reformation. That fact, however, did not give him the right to refuse to follow the light which had come to him. So Josiah says, I'm going to follow God. I know what the people are going to do. I know how they're going to react, but I have to follow God because it's been revealed to me. I've heard the word of God. Somebody else said, vain were the warnings of Jeremiah. Vain were his exhortations to repentance. Vain his promises that if they would turn to God, they would be forgiven and spared. Thirty years of irreligion and idolatry under Manasseh had sapped the national vigor and made true repentance an impossibility. Why do you read all of that? Because 
I believe, first of all, nationally, that's where we are. And let's be very careful that as a church, we're not like that, folks. Okay? Why did God not turn from his wrath toward his people? Because of all the provocations which, which had already provoked him. And one more commentator put it this way, and this is in your bulletin article this morning. It was too late, not for God to forgive upon repentance, and I might add there true repentance, but for the nation to repent sincerely and heartily. Listen to this. Sin had become ingrained in the national character. And folks, I submit to you that sin is ingrained in the national character of the United States of America today. It is a part of our lives. We must be different. We as God's people, we as one of the Lord's churches must be different. And listen to this. Your pastor can want revival as badly as Josiah wanted revival for Judah. And he does. He can pray for it. He can preach toward it. He can encourage us to do it. He can do everything he can do for us to have it. But as Vance Havner said, we're not going to have revival if we don't want it. Amen. I've mentioned over the past few weeks, I've seen some tapering off. Some of the enthusiasm just sort of waning. We just pray that God won't let that continue. We have become so enamored. Remember, this was, I was asked a question Wednesday night about why some churches are, are doing things that are foreign to the Word of God and leaving the faith and, and things like that. And I tried to recall my answer. In fact, I went back and listened to the video. We've become so enamored by, and our lives are so full of things of the world that we just don't have time for the things of God. Bible study, prayer, witnessing, even coming to church. We just don't seem to have time. It, it's not one of the priorities of our lives. And when we don't know the word of God, we are sitting ducks for the devil, for the flesh, and for the world. We meet temptations to sin by the word of God. And we can do on the surface all of the things that are mentioned that Josiah did. And we can even have a protracted meeting if we want to. But folks, if it's just doing things, if it's just going through the motions, if it's not done in the right way and for the right reason, we're in danger of finding ourselves with Judah right there in verse 26 of the text. I was supposed to read this in the introduction and I sure forgot to do it. We talk about service. Just listen to some verses for a moment. Psalm 9:1, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. Psalm 111, verse 1, I will praise the Lord with my whole heart. Psalm 119, verse 2, those that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. Psalm 119, verse 10, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wonder. Verse, uh, Psalm 119, verse 34, I shall keep thy law, yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Psalm 119, verse 58, I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. Be merciful unto me. Psalm 119, verse 69, I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. Psalm 119, 145, I cried with my whole heart, hear me, O Lord. Psalm 138, verse 1, I will praise thee with my whole heart. 
Jeremiah 3.10, they've not turned unto me with her whole heart, but faintedly. Jeremiah 24, verse 7, for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. You know what God wants? <laughs> Our whole heart, folks. He doesn't want just a part. He wants every bit of it. Amen. And if we don't give it to him, again, we're liable to end up like Judah. We're going to conclude with what I call the returning to worship. Go back to verse 21. I mentioned these verses, 21 through 23. And the king commanded all the people saying, keep the Passover unto the Lord your God as it is written in the book of this covenant. Surely there was not holding such a Passover from the days of the judges that judged Israel nor in all the days of the kings of Israel nor of the kings of Judah but in the 18th year King Josiah wherein this Passover was holding to the Lord in Jerusalem. He said, we've got to get back to what God desires. Now here's my personal belief. The Lord's churches today are so far removed in dedication and in commitment from what the first century churches were. Folks, we might not even be recognizable to those folks of the first century. After breaking with the world, we must worship God with our whole heart in spirit and in truth. That means doing what God says, when He says, how He says, where He says, and just exactly the way He says. It's not enough just to put away sin. We must put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 13, verse 14, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. We must commit ourselves and serve Him. The human mind is not a vacuum. I've seen some folks have thought it was, but it's not. The mind is not a vacuum. It's going to be filled with something. It will either be filled with thoughts of God and godliness, or it will be filled with thoughts of the world and worldliness. And Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay? What are God's people to have? The mind of Christ. We're to let Him direct our lives. There can be no revival. There can be no worship. True worship. Without God and without His Word. That's one reason you won't see this preacher saying, well, let's do away with the preaching and have a little drama. Now, if young people want to put on a skit, want to put on a play, that's fine, but we're going to have preaching too. You'll not see this preacher saying, well, let's just, instead of me preaching, then let's just all sing, okay? Singing's good. But the Word of God is what changes hearts. Amen. We live in the last days, and I'd much rather we be like Going back to Revelation 2 and 3, I'd much rather we be like the church at Smyrna, which the Lord said, you're poor, but you're rich. You don't have a lot of worldly stuff, but you're rich in heaven. Then be like the church at Laodicea, to which the Lord said, you're blind and naked and miserable. and You're not as important as you think you are. And the only way to do that is get revived and stay revived as the Lord's church.